0: Years ago, when I was a child, uh, we lived in San Antonio for three years. My dad was stationed at Keesler Air Force Base. and We got to see a lot of neat things. And I remember one time uh, we uh, went down to Laredo and then crossed into Mexico, to Nuevo Laredo, my one and only trip to Mexico in my life. And it was a fascinating thing, and seeing all the sights and all that. Uh, well, if you've ever been into a, a town in uh, Mexico, you've come across, or pretty much any nation, you've come across street vendors. And they are quite a, a <laughs> it's quite a, an adventure in and of itself. And I remember one particular stop, store we stopped at, uh, dad saw a pair of cowboy boots. Now they weren't this particular pair, but he loved boots. And so dad was looking at the price. And And if you compared it with the price in the States, it was not a bad price, but my dad you know, wanted cheaper. And so they start haggling, and it was fascinating to watch them haggle about price. And dad finally said, mom's kind of punching him, and okay, and dad finally said, okay, I'm not gonna, now I'm gonna go. And all of a sudden, as we're getting ready to leave the store, the man ran out of his store to the store next door and grabbed a pair of boots and came back and started haggling all over again. And I'm about 10 years old, and I am absolutely fascinated by this. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why it's happening. It's just fascinating to watch. Well, today, you're kind of going to get a feel of haggling. Only it's not for a pair of cowboy boots. It's for people and who, who need desperately mercy. They don't even want it. We're going to take a look, and it is a lengthy passage of scripture, but I ask you to stand as we look at today's text, and we watch Abraham doing his best, uh, and what we're going to see with Abraham here is not haggling for a price, but a plea for mercy. It's Genesis 18, verses 16 through 33, and I pray that you will listen with discerning ears you'll see what God would have to say to us today then the men got up from their meal and looked out towards Sodom as they left Abraham went with them to send them on their way should I hide my plan from Abraham the Lord asked for Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. So the Lord told Abraham, I've heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not... I want to know. The other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked." Why would you be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again. Since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes. Suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there are only 40. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 40. Please don't be angry, my Lord. Abraham pleaded, let me speak. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Then Abraham said, since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20. The Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me. If I speak one more time, suppose only 10 are found the Lord replied "Then I will not destroy it for the sake of the tent. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his tent. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. In our text, we see Abraham, and as I said, it's almost like he's haggling. Well, how about this? How about that? How about this? How about that? And notice each each time he gives another direction, he asks, but uh, may I uh, not find you angry with me. And God lets him continue. But this was a lot more than haggling. This wasn't haggling for the price of a pair of boots. After God had revealed to Abraham, I'm going to destroy the cities of the plain. Now he focuses on Sodom because it was the most important city. But he's talking about both cities of the plain. When that happened, Abraham interceded on behalf of those two cities. Now, I know he's asking about righteous people, but will you please understand when he's asking about the righteous and he's asking God to spare the cities, by necessity he is also praying for God to spare the cities for those who are wicked. He's not asking, take the righteous out before you do it but spare the cities. This, I find, to be one of the most amazing moments of intercession that you'll find either in the Old or New Testament. It's absolutely amazing. And we need to understand that. This is not an example of bartering with God. It's much deeper than that. In this text, When we listen to it for what God is saying to us, we hear the need to be deeply committed to intercession. Now, what can we learn from Abraham's intercession for the cities on the plain? There are several lessons that grow out of this text we need to pay attention to. So let's jump into it and may God really touch us. I pray you are, are listening with open hearts. Because we need them today. The very first lesson I learned. We have a right to pray boldly. We have a right to pray boldly. And this is clearly shown for us. In the book of Hebrews. Chapter 4 verses 15 and 16. Which declared this high priest of ours. Understands our weaknesses. For he he faced all of the same testings we do. Yet. He did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Robbie? Robbie? I'm having a little bit of feedback up here. I'm not sure if they're hearing that or not. If you can check that out. So this is not just an Old Testament principle. It's found in the new. Abraham provided and Absolutely amazing example of boldness in intercession. Alan Ross says, we are looking at Abraham in a, at his very best. We are seeing Abraham shine here in an amazing fashion. We're seeing his compassion. We see his sense of justice. It all shows up here. And in his, this text, he prayed for all the, all the people in the city. He's praying that the city be spared for the righteous, but he's also praying by necessity that it be spared for the wicked as well, righteous and wicked. Now, if you'll remember some chapters back, Abraham risked his life for these people. When he went to rescue Lot, he didn't just snatch his nephew. He got all of the people who had been taken by the the armies. And he had risked his life for these people. You know what? I'm pretty convinced if you risk your life for somebody, it may not be the, hey, let's hang out together for the rest of our lives, but there's a bond there. Abraham risked his life, and now he's pleading before God with the same kind of boldness. He's going. He knows that God can strike him down at any moment, doesn't he? Clearly. But he keeps pressing on, doesn't he? He doesn't even wait for God to say, oh, it's okay, go ahead. He just, you know, please don't. But here, boldness, perseverance. We find the same generosity that he had with what? Take whatever you want. Here he's saying, God, spare these people. If you can even just find ten, spare these cities. And when I look at him and I see his fervor and the intensity of his prayer and his willingness to go to a point where it almost seems like he might die, there's something important I learned here. The reason Abraham could approach God so boldly is the same reason we can. Why would Abraham be willing? Why would he even think he could talk to God? Because of the relationship he had with God. God came to Abraham regularly and spoke to him and showed him what he wanted him to be. And he was convinced by what God had done in his own life, sparing him those moments he made those really bad decisions, he is now convinced that God is a God of mercy And he said, I am going to pray with that end in mind. Dwight Clove wrote, imagine for a moment that you were a child in a super rich family. That's imagination for most of us, I'm quite sure. If you wanted a new car, it's yours. If you wanted a week in Europe or in the South Pacific, no problem. For you, money is no object. Whatever you want is yours. Then he said, most of us, We'll never be in that situation. But then he brings it home. In reality, we're in a far better place. We are royal sons and daughters of God. We can ask for things that no amount of money could ever buy. Ephesians 3.20. A beautiful word of encouragement. Paul wrote, Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That's the God we serve. And because of our relationship, because of what has happened in Jesus Christ, dying for us, being raised from the dead, bringing us into the family of God, we can come to this God of mighty power. We are children of the living God Brought into this family because of what Christ has done for us. The high priest who knows our struggles. But came through and because he did so. As a perfect sacrifice. We can come to God without hesitation. We can come and seek God's face at any moment of any day. I hope you really realize that you're not one of those trapped in the idea that somehow... When we pray together or when we pray in the church, God is listening more intently than when we're out there by ourselves. Get rid of that idea. You are God's child. And He welcomes your prayer. And He welcomes your your seeking Him on behalf of other people. He wants us to have that kind of compassion. Wherever we are, we are children of God and we need to be standing up for a world that desperately needs the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we must learn to take God seriously in his call for us to come boldly to him. We don't have to be afraid. I know Abraham pressed his his, his luck, so to speak. Please don't be angry. Don't get mad. Don't be angry, but he keeps on going because he knows God is going to listen. Folks, because of Calvary, we don't even have to ask God, please don't be mad. Because we know God gave his son so that we could call him father and we can come to him about anything. So today... We need to commit to approaching Him with boldness as we pray for a world in need of salvation. As we pray for the Mississippi Gulf Coast that is so racked by so much sin and, and hurt and pain, I can come to God and pray confidently that my Father receives my heart, my, my desire to see His hand move. So that's our first lesson. We can come boldly to God. We don't have to beg. We don't have to plead. God, please listen. That's why you will not ever hear me say in an opening prayer or in a prayer at all, Lord, please be with us today. He is here. Listening. I don't take that for granted. It's an amazing, wonderful truth. What's our next lesson? We have a call to stand in the gap. Now, we've already looked at the text in our in our responsive reading. But one of the most painful texts in all of Scripture is found in Ezekiel. When God is talking to his prophet and saying, I looked for people who would care. Ezekiel twenty two, thirty, again. I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I search for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. God said, I'm looking for somebody who's going to care enough about Judah that they will be pleading on their behalf. But when I look out at the mass of people, now God knows that Ezekiel cares. God is talking about the people at large. They don't. They don't see the need. They don't understand the devastation that's about to happen. And he says, none of my people, the leaders aren't, the spiritual leaders aren't, the people of the land are not saying, God, forgive us. Because they don't believe they're sinning. It's a powerful statement, standing in the gap. And when I look at Abraham once again, at this man, bodies What should have happened? I look for someone who might rebuild. And God says, I found no one. Well, Abraham's willing to stand in the gap here. Abraham's willing to pray for a people that by and large don't know God, don't care about God, don't want God. All we have in Sodom and Gomorrah are a lot in his family. Chapter 19 is Lot's story, so we're not going to really look at that. But for just a moment, the the New Testament talks about Lot being a righteous man. And I've often wondered, what what if Abraham had just said, okay, God, how about one? But he doesn't. And it may be that Abraham is convinced after he rescued these people, at least ten people have got to believe in, in Yahweh. But when you look at Lot, a man who did half faith. his impact on the people of Sodom was virtually nil, even to the point of his own son's-in-law. When he says, we've got to leave, they're not ready to go, and they're not willing to go. And even his wife can't help but looking back instead of pushing forward. Abraham is saying, I'll stand. Abraham offered an amazing example of what it meant to plea on behalf of those facing judgment. I've heard people flippantly say things. And folks, this goes all the way back to the 70s. So if you think our world is bad and it was beautiful back then, I've heard I've heard people say, if God doesn't judge America, He will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. That is such an arrogant statement. Instead of saying that, why aren't we saying, God, thank you for giving mercy and grace. So this world that is so full, and I know people today who have that. There are people who are seeking the judgment of America. And that's what they're praying. Abraham is praying, Lord, give mercy. I like what Alan Ross said. Abraham's prayers, though audacious, were made with genuine humility and profound reverence. It was for justice that he pleaded deliverance for Sodom if there were as few as 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, or even 10. And Ross rightfully says, I don't think Abraham is trying to talk God into something that is against God's will that God would say, you shouldn't be praying this at all. Nowhere does he get on to Abraham here, does he? He never tells Abraham, stop that. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. He keeps letting Abraham talk. And he even says, okay, if I find those. Now, when God says, I'm going to go down and see if it's as wicked as they think. Please don't misunderstand that to mean God doesn't know if it's wicked. I believe God is talking about a visitation upon Sodom to give them a chance, but also to let them be without excuse. If judgment comes, God has already placed a witness, although it's a weak one in Lot, And God is using Abraham now. Abraham is pleading. Believing in the grace of God, he pleads for the sinful cities of the plain if only a handful of people are seeking to do what is right. Let's not lose sight. that While the basis of prayer was predicated by Abraham's belief that there would be some people righteous in Sodom, he did pray for everybody there. Because if God spares it for the ten, he will spare Sodom and Gomorrah as well. This is God's heart. And when I look at what God... God's incredible grace, and if you want to say patience, putting up with Abraham, 50, 45, 40. When I look at that, and I look at us, I'm convinced the call for God's people to pray for God's mercy, it has never been revoked. How long am I going to be praying for God to awaken America? I've told you, I've been praying for an awakening of God for well over 40 years now. Do you know how long I'm going to be praying for the awakening of God? Until it comes, or I go to be with Him. I'm not going to stop, because nowhere did God tell me. Now, if God suddenly comes and says, quit praying, then I would. Because there are several times in the Word of God that God says, don't pray for these people, implying they have gone past the point of no return. But God has given me no indication that that is so. To Ezekiel, God declared with a great gift, I couldn't find anybody to stand in the gap. And I wonder, what has God seen about our nation? I've been looking for someone who would plead I'm looking for someone who would care. I'm looking for someone. While we complain, we agree by the shocking turn of events that we've seen through the last few years, we must ask, what can change this land? And as a child of the king, I've told you this many times. As a child of the king, I will declare without any reservation on my part, my fundamental belief is that God alone can change this place we call home. I'm not saying don't vote and don't participate in your right as a citizen, but I'm telling you what this nation needs is a move of God. And a nation that is as divided as we are, I believe if the Spirit of God begins moving in our hearts as His children to become what He has called us to be, we will begin to see the hints of awakening and maybe we will see the finger of God move across the land we call home. Are we praying to that end? And I'm not saying once a a week or once a month or once a year we say, hey Lord, would you please bless America? Are we pleading with God with this kind of intensity? When when would we asked God to spare the wicked for the sake of the righteous? Or will we continue with business as usual? Will we continue complaining, fearing, wringing our hands in desperation instead of folding our hands in prayer? When are we going to really Get serious about seeking God in prayer. You see, I believe that we must learn to diligently call for God's hand of mercy to move upon this world. I believe we need to diligently be committed, not just every so often, but consistently and continually in our lives pleading for God. Psalm 20, verses 7 and 8. If you mark in your Bibles, mark these two verses. They should be at the hallmark of every one of our hearts. The psalmist wrote, Psalm 20, verses 7 and 8, Some nations boast of their chariots and horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord our God. Those nations will fall down and collapse, but we will rise up and stand firm. Where is my hope? Where is my trust? Do I believe God can change this land or do I believe I can? We need to be praying for the Lord our God to move. We have a right to be bold. our call to plead for God's mercy has never been revoked. He's never told us, don't pray. But when I see Abraham, our last lesson, we have a duty to be salt and light. We have a duty to be salt and light. And I turn to the Sermon on the Mount. And may I remind you the sermon on the mount is a sermon that was actually preached for the disciples there was a crowd that followed and Jesus let them listen in but the sermon on the mount is Jesus saying this is what your life should look like as citizens of the kingdom of god if you're really my disciples this is what your life should look like and in Matthew 5:13 through 16 the lord said you are the salt of the earth But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let the good result of your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father and Abraham gave an amazing example of one who would seek to make a difference in this world. When I look at Abraham with all of his foibles with all of his family and folks we're going to come very quickly on another passage of Scripture, that Abraham repeats the mistake he had made in the past. Does that sound familiar to anybody here? Have you ever found yourself doing the same thing again? That you had once sought God's forgiveness? Abraham's going to do it. But with all of that in mind, when I see Abraham, I see a man who took seriously the call of God when God said, I am going to make you a blessing to all the world, everywhere Abraham went, he built altars to the Lord. Everywhere Abraham went, he moved and, and prayed for people. He, he sought to help people. Abraham gave this. Now, he prayed mightily that God would bring mercy. Folks, this is an amazing bold prayer. Why? Why? I believe because Abraham had seen God's mercy in his own life. I believe he prayed because he cared for people he'd been willing to risk his life for. And I believe he prayed because he wanted to see God's name glorified and honored. I can't help but think that maybe... Abraham is even remembering God's promise. Not only am I going to bless you, but through your seed I will bless the whole world. And he saw an opportunity. So he's pleading with this blessing of God to fall upon the cities of the plain. Now clearly there weren't ten righteous people in Sodom. And so the judgment of God of Sodom and Gomorrah would take place. But because there were, not in, there were not ten righteous people, did that mean Abraham was wrong for playing, praying for mercy? You know that old expression, is no, a thousand times no, he was not wrong. God does not rebuke Abraham here. And I believe Abraham was not praying wrong for praying for mercy because his heart was pure in pleading for Sodom. He was praying that these people would come to know God would be blessed, that Lord I will spare the judgment, and in the end they would come to understand God's hand. We Another verse we looked at in our responsive reading today is Paul in the book of Romans, when he says, I'm telling you the truth. And and he, he said it if if there had been italics and bold print in Paul's day underlying It would have all of that. He said, I'm telling you the truth. I would give my life, my salvation, if my brothers would be saved. Now, Paul, I know, knows he can't die for his brothers. He can't pay for their sin. But I think Paul was very honest and real. If I could take their place, I would and in Abraham's intensity lord please save them please spare them with an intense prayer because he had believed in the mercy of god having received the mercy of god now he's praying god please have mercy and when i see this i'm reminded that christ has given us a call to have an impact on the world in which we live. Two powerful metaphors. Salt and light. Salt and light. And I've seen people <laughs> try to fix, what do you do with salt that lost its savor? And the immediate thing, salt doesn't, you know, a modern mind says salt doesn't quit being salt. And so there's all these explanations. Well, the salt drudged up from this dead sea. I think Jesus is saying an impossibility. If salt were were to lose its flavor, it's no good anymore. It's lost its purpose. He said, don't be like salt. that's lost its flavor. Let your life preserve a world that is in danger of rotting. Let your life bring flavor to a world that is losing all. Let your light shine into a world overcome with darkness. And When Jesus said that to the disciples on that mount, it was a sermon for all disciples of God in Christ. Guess who he is saying that to? You and me. This isn't just for the twelve. Every child of God, you are salt, you are light. You are supposed to be making an impact in your world. One of my favorite movies of all time, It's a Wonderful Life. I absolutely love it. Uh, It was Frank Capra's favorite movie he directed. It was Jimmy Stewart's favorite movie that he made. And I love it. We look at a man. What if he had never been born? He's given a sight. And he sees all of the impact on all of the lives. And it's a great Hollywood movie. But folks, our lives are supposed to be impacting What would this community look like if the people of God had not been planted here? And if we had not been planted here and there were no difference, then we've lost our flavor. And we've hidden our light. You and I are called by God to show the world that the kingdom of God can bring into their lives' meaning and hope and life and truth. And that is our call. And one of the ways we do that, yes, is by sharing the gospel, living the gospel, yes. But another way is praying and seeking God constantly on behalf of the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, on behalf of the United States of America, on behalf of the West, on behalf of the world, God may you move and bring people to hope and life and meaning. See, and then, friends, we must learn that God can use us greatly as we seek to change our world and His power. God can use us. In the first century, the church was born into a world that was marked by corruption, sin, degradation, and oppression. When Paul says in the 13th chapter of Romans, obey the law of the land, and when Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, unto God the things that are God, they were talking about the Roman Empire at one of its most corrupt moments in time. And the first century was born into that. They were not born into an environment where they say, hey, tell us about your Jesus. We're all excited about it. They were willing to take up their cross. They were willing to go to the end. Many of them died. Many of them were persecuted. They prayed. They witnessed. They took up their crosses. And in doing so, they changed their world. If we're willing to do that. If we're willing to get brutally honest with ourselves and what we're lacking and brutally committed to this idea of Putting ourselves to the death and living the life Christ has called us, we can make a difference. As God is searching for the world for someone to stand the gap, what is he going to find on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi? Will he find someone who's willing to take up the call? What did he say of the Gulf Coast? No one was willing. Will the believers of Baptist to Baptists become mighty prayer warriors praying with the intensity of an Abraham or a Paul for the people around us that we are supposed to love? Will our burden for souls be translated? Translated into what? Will our burden for souls be translated into tears. I'm going to ask you a question that I've asked many times in 40 years. Across three states, many associations, several churches. When we look At everything that is wrong with our land. When we look at lives that flaunt God's purpose, when was the last time we cried for them? When was the last time we shed tears? people who act outlandishly, for the people who have no place for God. Jesus overlooked Jerusalem knowing what was about to happen to Him in that city. And He wept for them. When was the last time we cried? Are we willing To take a stand. Are we willing to get serious. About praying. God. Please show your mercy. I'm going to have a prayer. Followed by which I'm going to invite you. If you're willing to say. And folks, you know, the commitment you're going to make today lasts for today. I hope you know that. I'm not asking you to make a commitment for the rest of your life. I'm asking you today. If you're willing to stand and say, I'm willing to stand in the gap. I'm willing to start praying. And I'm asking God to give me that kind of intensity moment I'm going to ask you to come and stand. You may pray. I would love to pray with you. This is not a hymn of invitation per se. It's a hymn of dedication. Am I willing to take a stand? Am I willing to get serious and start interceding? Pray with me. Father God, I ask you to move among us, to touch us. God, I'm asking you today to break our hearts. I'm asking you to let us see the way you do. And understand that this world that is so lost in sin It's the world you sent your son for. Help us, God. Help us take a stand. Help us to stand in the gap. And seek your face. And every day renew this moment of commitment.